estimated that Americans spent over $20 billion on Valentine's Day last year. $5 billion of that went to jewelry, $2 billion was spent on flowers, another $2 billion on chocolate, and a whopping $0 were spent on sacrifices to the gods. It's no wonder that 47% of the US population is alone on Valentine's Day. People are spending more money getting their dogs Valentine's cards than they are honoring the deities who rule over and influence love and romance. But not me. Well, I did get my dog's Valentine's cards, but I also made the proper sacrifices to the powers that be. And unlike grade school, I actually got some Valentines in my box this year. I don't think it's a coincidence. Should I open it up and see who they're from? Goddess number one. All right, let's do this. I'm so excited. Who do you think sent me stuff? Oh, I bet I know who this one's from. Yup. Parvati, the Hindu goddess. We haven't talked much, if at all, about Hinduism on this show, so I'll give you a quick rundown of who she is and what she's known for. Parvati is the Hindu goddess of power, nourishment, beauty, motherhood, and love. She's the daughter of the goddess Mainavati and the earth god Himavan, who personifies the Himalayan mountains. Parvati's name can actually be translated to mean she from the mountains which is no doubt a reference to her ancestry. She's usually depicted as a beautiful woman with dark skin, more than one pair of arms, and sometimes riding a large cat like a lion, which is representative of her control over the wild aspects of nature, an important quality for the goddess considering who her husband is. For those who don't know, Parvati is married to a god named Shiva, aka the destroyer, aka the god of destruction. And while his domain doesn't sound like it would mesh well with Parvati's passions, of love and creation, he learned a lot from his wife. You see, before they formed their union, Shiva was obsessed with asceticism, the discipline of avoiding self-indulgent behaviors. And he basically lived in isolation, choosing not to get involved in the affairs of the world on account of his belief that the material realm was simply a distraction from attaining spiritual enlightenment. It's a bit of a cynical, dare I say, self-fulfilling perspective because anyone who closes themselves off from the world is bound to remain clueless about all the wonderful things it has to offer, and Parvati had a real difficult time communicating this message to Shiva. Her first attempt at showing him the power of love took place before their marriage. She arranged for Kama, the Hindu god of desire, erotic love, attraction, and affection, to wake Shiva up from his meditation by shooting him with an arrow of desire, which are oddly similar to Cupid's golden arrows of desire. But instead of Shiva suddenly being filled with love and appreciation, he simply opened up his third eye and burned Kama into ashes. Brutal. Nevertheless, Parvati continued to pursue Shiva. She began living in the woods like him, doing yoga like him, and meditating like him, until finally she caught his interest and he agreed to marry her. And then it wasn't long before the two gods had built a whole new life together. They shared a home, their routines, and even had three children. Ganesha, the elephant-headed remover of obstacles, Kartikeya, the god of war, and a daughter named Ashoka Sundari. They also shared their domains. Shiva was a primordial god who possessed the raw power of destruction, but when that destructive energy was nourished with Parvati's love and devotion, it gave her the power to create, and she provided the materials that allowed human civilization to progress. But despite all the improvements Parvati made to Shiva's life and the world around them, he continued to dismiss the importance of the material world which got on Parvati's nerves after a while. So she decided, if no one's going to appreciate what I bring to the table, I guess they don't need me. 
and then she vanished. Without Parvati around to provide food and nourishment, things fell apart pretty quickly. There was a worldwide famine that caused countless people to suffer and starve, including Shiva, who was powerless to create anything without his wife's help. Rumors had spread that there was only one kitchen left in the world that still gave out food. So the starving Shiva traveled to it, only to find that it was managed by his wife, who was living under a new identity. She was now Anapurna, the goddess of food. And because of her blessings, the world began to bloom once more. Forever humbled and finally seeing the error of his ways, Shiva got down on his knees and begged Annapurna for forgiveness, which she gave him. And from then on, humans and gods alike had newfound respect for what the material world and Parvati provided. A pretty cute love story if I say so myself. And it goes to show you that when it comes to relationships, both parties need to contribute and be appreciated for their contributions. I wanna open up my next Valentine now, but before I do, I should say thanks to this week's sponsor, Mint Mobile. If saving more and spending less is one of your top goals for 2023, then one of the first changes you should make is switching your phone plan to Mint Mobile. Not only is it super easy because Mint Mobile is the first company ever to sell premium wireless service online exclusively, but their phone plans start at an incredibly reasonable $15 a month and they all include unlimited talk and text and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. They even let you use the same phone from your previous carrier. All you've got to do is activate the Mint Mobile eSIM and you'll be good to go in minutes. I personally made the switch back in December and I've got to say, I'm impressed with the quality of service. I figured it would be fine, but no way it would be better than the major carrier I stuck with all these years, right? Turns out I was wrong. Over the past two months, I've hit approximately zero dead spots. That's despite traveling to different states, awful weather conditions, and my phone being a few years past its expiration date. I truly cannot recommend Mint Mobile enough. So if you want to start a new wireless plan for just $15 a month and get your plan shipped to your door for free, either click the link in the description or go to mintmobile.com solo. That's M-I-N-T-M-O-B-I-L-E dot com solo. Goddess number two. Hey, this card has those Matryoshka dolls on it. I'm thinking it's got to be a Slavic goddess then. Yep. This is from Lada. She presided over love and fertility, oversaw the seasonal harvests, and was a protector of lovers and families. In art, Lada was portrayed with the ideal feminine qualities of the mid-1400s babe which is around the time that our earliest written records of her can be traced back to. She was voluptuous, had light skin, long golden hair that was braided into a wreath crowning her head, and was often shown tending to a child or in the presence of children. Lada is comparable to Freya from Norse mythology or Aphrodite from Greek mythology. But what makes her unique is that she's what's called a phantom goddess, meaning that experts aren't 100% sure that she existed. You see, the previously mentioned 1400s reference to Lada was actually found in Poland, contained in an anti-pagan sermon where some nerd says that only Jesus can save your soul. The direct quote reads, For a man is not saved in the name of Lado, Jasa, Kia, Nia, but in the name of Jesus Christ, not Lada, not Jasa, not Nia, which are the names of idols worshipped here in Poland, as some chronicles of Poles testify. I'm sorry for those painful pronunciations. I'll be honest though, quotes like this annoy the piss out of me. Anyone who puts their own religion or ideology above someone else's is a douchebag, no exceptions. But the funny thing about this situation is that this particular douchebag may have been freaking out over nothing. 
because prior to his sermon, there is no record of Lada being worshipped in Poland, Russia, Croatia, Ukraine, or any of the Slavic cultures. Now, that's not exactly uncommon with pagan religions, as many relied on oral tradition and didn't write a whole lot down, but there were also no statues, murals, or even stories about Lada that experts could point to as definitive proof of her existence and worship. So where did that priest and his fellow freaks get the idea that Lada was a threat to the sanctity of their souls? It turns out, sing-alongs might be the culprit. The name or term Lada appears in songs about spring, summer, and weddings, and there's no evidence that the name is connected to any goddess. In a book called Slavic Gods and Heroes, historians Judith Kalik and Alexander Yukatil argue that the name Lada actually derives from a completely meaningless refrain, Lado Lada, that appears in Slavic songs and was transformed into a set of gods. To put it another way, it'd be like if aliens came to Earth and listened to All the Small Things by Blink-182 and thought na 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 was one of our goddesses. There's literally nothing in the song to indicate that line is about anyone or anything, but someone looking to force a connection might say, well, he does mention her leaving roses by the stairs, so na 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 might be a nature goddess. That's why she starts with na, nature. And what's frustrating to researchers is that it's totally possible that the Christian who gave that sermon was completely misinformed. And for all we know, he might have been immediately called out about his inaccuracies by the pagans listening to him give his spiel. But since the only record we have of the event is his sermon, we'll never know for certain. Unless you consider this valentine I got as definitive proof that she exists. Which I do. So, thanks, Lada. Goddess number two. And a half. On to our next goddess, though. This card's got Cupid on it. Who wants to bet that it's from Aphrodite, or should I say Venus? Hey, I was right, but I've done a whole episode on Aphrodite, and Cupid for that matter. So if you want to learn about those two, go check them out. Yes, I'm losing my voice. Be sure to let me know how weird it sounds in the comments down below. Goddess number three. There's one final card in here, though and it looks to be an Egyptian deity. But which one? There's so many associated with Horus. Ah, this is from Hathor. Always a proud mother consort she was. So Hathor is one of the most important goddesses in the whole Egyptian pantheon. In fact, all of the Egyptian goddesses are said to be derived from her. So at some point, we'll do a whole episode dedicated to her where we cover her mythology in its entirety. In the meantime, you can consider this episode a crash course on Hathor, whose domain spread far and wide. She was associated with the sun, the moon, agriculture, joy, music, and dance, as well as love, beauty, pleasure, fertility, motherhood, and the health of all women. Her physical portrayals were just as diverse as her domains. She could take the form of a goose, a lioness, a cobra, a greenish mineral called malachite, which the Egyptians used as makeup, and even a sycamore tree. But without a doubt, the animal she embodied the most was the cow. There's quite a bit of ancient art that shows her as a pure white cow with the sun between her horns nursing a pharaoh or one of the other gods. And even when she's in her human form, she retains her cow horns and ears. For those who don't know, the ancient Egyptians were one of the many cultures that considered cows highly sacred. Since they're able to create milk that nourishes not only their own young, but humans as well, they were heavily associated with motherhood and nourishment, as was Hathor. As a protector of women, the goddess provided aid during childbirth, but also took care of those whose lives had come to an end. 
She received people into the next life when they died, gave them food and water, and prepared them for their journey to the afterworld. In other words, she was a really nice lady and pretty much everyone loved her. She had cults all over Egypt that were run by both men and women, as well as the rich and poor. So it might blow your mind to learn that for a short time, she was the Godzilla of ancient Egypt. Let me explain. Way, way back in the day, Ra was convinced that humanity was ungrateful, evil, and conspiring against him. So he sent the lion-headed warrior goddess Sekhmet to devour anyone she considered to be his enemy. Only after Sekhmet got her first taste of blood, she could not be quenched. Driven insane from bloodlust, she started slaughtering mankind indiscriminately. She demolished homes, crushed cities. She was basically the Egyptian Godzilla, and Ra thought it was pretty badass at first. But when he realized that Sekhmet was going to destroy all of humanity if she wasn't stopped, he hatched a plan with Tenenit, the Egyptian goddess of beer. He told Tenenit to brew a really strong batch of beer, dye it red, and pour it into the Nile River. Then when Sekhmet, who was still craving blood, came across it, she just started chugging and chugging until she got so drunk that she forgot all about her mission to punish mankind. She decided to take a nap right there on the shoreline. Then Ra had her brought back to him, and when she woke up, she'd returned to being her benign and beautiful self, Hathor. Some of you might remember that story from the very messed up origins of vampires, because technically Sekhmet could be considered the first vampiric figure in all of mythology. But now you know, that was just a phase, man. And in reality, she had an endless amount of love for not just her fellow gods, but us humans too. It looks like my Valentine's box is officially empty though, and it's kind of hurtful there was nothing in here from Gunther and Penny. Or my wife. I've got to go and have a family meeting about this, but if you learned something from this podcast, I would really appreciate you rating our show five stars. And if you want more mythology and folklore sent to your device several times a week, give us a follow. Thanks for listening, everybody. Here's hoping your Valentine's Day isn't too lonely or expensive. My name is John Solo, and don't forget, John shot first. Thank you.